A New Bank, Alternative Futures, and Buffalo. This is Patterns of Development. Hey, what's up everybody? It's Kyle. Where on this podcast, I share and discuss the best content I've discovered each Thursday related to urban planning, architecture, and cities. What are the patterns of development? How do we build good cities? Last week, I alluded to this idea of a national infrastructure bank. This is not a new idea. Apparently, we were borrowing from our forefathers here. In the history of the United States, we've commissioned banks four other times. The first bank of the United States, 1791 to 1811. We've won the Revolutionary War. Now we need to build our cities, our roads, our bridges, our ports. We're in startup mode. We need capital. Second Bank of the United States, 1816, 1836, we're expanding. We need more. National banking system, 1863-ish. Think Abraham Lincoln coming out of the Civil War. How do we rebuild all this stuff? How do you think we paid for that transcontinental railroad? That's a great question. We did it with the national banking system. Last up, Reconstruction Financial Corporation, 1932 to 1957. This was Roosevelt getting us out of the Depression through World War II and into that boom post-World War II. People are suggesting and they're proposing that we need another bank for a situation in our country right now. How do we pay for all this infrastructure stuff? Everyone's talking about in D.C., who's going to pay for it? How are we going to pay for it? And there's this idea that we should create a bank that's specifically designed to solve the infrastructure problem. What does this mean? Well, when you create a bank, to create a bank, you need to get capitalized. You need the money in your bank account or in your fictitious corporation, so then you can loan it out to make interest. So this could be public or private money that we loan out, but the people who put their money in essentially own stock in the bank with a promise that they will get some percent return on their money. Bank loans that money out a couple of points higher, boom, you've got your bank, and now you've paid back your investors over time. The trick here is building a bank that will loan money to states and local municipalities to complete their infrastructure projects. And a shout out to a friend of mine, Kevin. We were just painting a mural in the alley over here, right behind me, and we were talking about this idea, chartering a bank with a specific purpose. It almost makes too much sense. Give loans to states and local government for their infrastructure projects. It's a pretty good guarantee. That's a pretty good person to loan money to. In return, the citizens of the communities and our country get better infrastructure. Pretty good deal all around. The intriguing part, what if this bank was able to get participation on an individual level and not just on an institution level? Of course, you're going to get your JP Morgans or your Vanguards. They might move a bunch of money into this, that guaranteed return. So promising for their risk-averse investors. But what if there's an opportunity for people to invest into this with the ease that they invest into Bitcoin, the ease that Robinhood, that public, that all these free, commission-free apps provide these days? What if we could make that happen? I'd love for an opportunity to be at better return and know that my money was helping communities build better infrastructure. How democratic of an idea is that? Maybe that's just capitalistic. Anyway, talking about the future of cities is always a hot topic. A paper by Thomas Cite and Pier Francesco De Pola, apologies for De De Pola, apologies for the pronunciation there, discussing the various possibilities of future cities considering various constraints, demand on society, the environment, geography, etc., Dubbed the Future Cities Project in the paper, they aim to study the details of various city models that they've identified and figure out which one would be best suitable, depending on these strategic criteria. The four types of cities they analyzed are compact cities, elevated cities, greenhouse cities, and water cities. They did all this analysis, wonderful stuff, almost too wonderful, 
and they determined that the compact city model is the best solution for design and urban planning, taking into account urban sprawl, building transformations into the future, and economic effects on the environment. To add a little definition to exactly what we mean, I'm quoting the article now, the main goal behind a compact circular city is to take the advantage of its specific circular design because all points at the circumference are equal distance to the center. The central part of the circular city will be reserved for residential units. If all the housing units are at the center, there would be better security for residents and an opportunity for good mutual social interactions. Think pocket neighborhood here. Infrastructure would be placed around the center and the outermost levels would be reserved for industrial structures, minimizing environmental pollution. On top of the buildings, there would be green parks as roof, while cities would be surrounded by rural countryside without the suburbs. The major benefits of the circular compact cities are less city congestion, efficient public transportation systems. However, its main limitation is the poor space for further expansion. Of course, a network of compact circular cities would be a possible way to resolve this urban expansion problem. This is Kyle again. Ha! Take that. Density wins again. This does sound a little bit like the 15-minute neighborhood. I know I mentioned pocket neighborhoods earlier. 15-minute neighborhood 2 here comes into play. If we have a city center, we put all the residents at the center and design it in a circle, we make it possible for everything to be accessible via multiple transportation types. Pretty cool. Last up, an article, a quick hit here. This is going to be a quick one. I'm not going to let a week go by without talking about parking. I just can't help myself. Buffalo has reduced and eliminated their parking requirements, and it's going well. The article by Daniel Baldwin-Hess and Jeffrey Reeler say that developers of 14 sites mixed retail, space, and residential units, and they used 53% fewer parking spaces than required under previous zoning. Four projects in particular added no parking, opting instead to share parking with other properties. Good news for Buffalo and another great case study of why you should reduce and eliminate parking requirements in your city. That's all for this week, and I'll talk to you all soon. If you have any questions, thoughts, or feedback, please email me, kyle at patternsofdevelopment.com. Huge credit, huge shout-out, huge thank you to Rafi Bushman, phenomenal jazz musician in London. I'm using his music as the theme for this podcast. Please go check out his new album on Spotify. It is awesome. Looking forward to next week, and I'll talk to you all soon. Mm -hmm.